Well, it's great to be here, and I'm happy to uh, worship and see everybody, and uh, I'm excited about, uh, we're going to be getting into Luke chapter 3 and 4 here in just a little bit, but uh, it's been an exciting couple chapters, so hopefully it will be be that way for you as well. And um, what we're, we're kind of going through the, the book of Luke, and we're checking out different passages that have to do with the Holy Spirit. And last time we looked at Mary and Elizabeth and kind of the spirit appearing and and kind of the idea for Mary was that the spirit and Mary kind of like merged in their lives and we got Jesus. And just kind of the idea that it wasn't, that was a maybe a model for us that God wants our ourselves and, our, and this, his spirit to kind of walk together and closely in this life. And the idea of knowing God isn't just knowing like ideas about God, but it's it's really walking closely with 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 the Spirit of Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And then with uh, Elizabeth, that when Mary came over when they were both pregnant, and John the Baptist kind of jumped in her stomach, and she had this revelation that Mary was pregnant with the Lord before Mary told her that she was pregnant with the Lord, and just that idea of of True fellowship is led by the Spirit, that we, we speak to one another and sometimes before the person knows what we're going to say, we, we tell them something from God. And sometimes, we, some, you ever had that happen where somebody tells you something and it's like the light bulb goes on and you never heard that before? Maybe that's a, a part of the, the fellowship and really message from God through the Spirit. And today we're going to look at a couple other Instances, one where Jesus gets the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. And they were both directed by the Spirit of God. And uh, so I'm excited to talk about that a little bit more um, today. And um, as we start the, the book of Luke, you get the idea of the, what Luke's doing with this book. Right? The angels testify to the Messiah, the Son of God. They, they tell the shepherds where to go. Then once Jesus is born, he comes into the temple and there's two prophets that also testify to this Messiah that was that God was sending that everybody was waiting for. And even in the end of the book, after he raises from the dead, they say it again. This was the, the Messiah that you've been waiting for and kind of the idea that when we learn who Jesus is, it inspires our our love. Our, our loyalty, our allegiance, that if we're truly getting the messages that God is sending us, it will be directing us to be more allegiant to Jesus. We'll want to put him more into our life. We'll want to hold on to him in a stronger way. And we'll see that even as we read here that a few different times people are asking John the Baptist, like, what do we do? Like, now that you're giving us this message, like, now what? Like, what does that mean for me? And I think when Luke was probably putting that down, when the Spirit was writing that, it wasn't just so they could figure out what they need to do. It's so that we can figure out what we need to do. And we can ask that question of, of, God, of God. Like, God, what do you want me? What does that mean for me? And hopefully today you'll leave here thinking more and having a little bit more clarity on, hey, what does God want from me? 
And that's what it means to really follow the Spirit in our day-to-day lives. So let's say a prayer. We're going to get started. I do want to say a special prayer for everything going on over in the Middle East and Israel. And, um, you know, Michael was here last week and talking about the, 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 these two ages and the ages of, of war, power, barbed wire, and, and, and financial uh, domination, and, and then the Spirit's way of love and peace and forgiveness. And, you know, we kind of just seeing in another way just what worldly power does it takes it from others it doesn't like it so there's war and fighting and pain and i know it's tragic that like 600 at least 600 people have they've identified as dead already and then it just inspires a a response and then it just responds you know so it's just like man that's just the the world that we live in it just wreaks havoc on people's lives and, you know, how much that would turn over your society if you're getting bombed. Like, it just changes your life. And so let's say a prayer uh, for them, and then we'll say a prayer for this service, too. Uh, Father, we do uh, just, uh, our hearts go out to everyone that is in uh, Israel and Palestine and all those areas that are being bombed and rebombed and retaliated and, and people that are losing mothers and fathers and children and God uh, just putting all the politics aside and just seeing the the the, uh, the powers of this world just warring against each other and we know that uh, that that wasn't the way that Jesus came to fight God and I pray that you can bring a better way and uh, help us to uh, help them to have light over in that part of the world I pray you bring comfort to them and help us to be the light where we are as well, God. I pray you be with the time today and your word that you can really inspire us, God. That uh, I know here we're, we're blessed, uh, we're safe, we're, we don't have bombs going off, and we're grateful for that. Uh, but uh, it doesn't mean that your word is, is not uh, as life and death as for those people in that part of the world, God. So I pray that you uh, guide me and guide my words and guide your words today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start uh, reading here in uh, Luke 3 in a minute just about the ministry of John the Baptist. And it's going to talk about different pathways to knowing God. And he goes through in um, the beginning of the the book, he talks about all the powers of this world that were there. And we know some of them were killing Jewish kids, and some of them were making Jesus go off to another country. And, you know, there was all kinds of issues there with Herod and, and Emperor Tiberius and Herod Antipas and all these Herods that I can't keep them straight of which one is where, but they're all like in charge of, they're all governors of these different areas. And we're going to see even Herod Antipas who uh, put John in prison after he was calling him out on some of his lifestyle and and just that all these powers were basically going against the words of Christ, which were saying, hey, I want to lift up the lowly. I want to bring down the lofty and feed the hungry. And that's what was going on. He, wanted to, he came to free the slaves, not to enslave. And that was what a lot of these powers were up to. And we're going to see even in the temptation of Jesus that, these powers were controlled by Satan. 
that he said, hey, I have, I have control of all these powers. If you do things my way, I'll give them to you. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But let's read in, um, in Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 3, the ministry of John. It says, he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And we hear those words and we think about what is that really, what is he really talking about like this way of the Lord and mountains raised up and making it flat so you can, you know, that that doesn't mean a whole lot to me because we have plenty of roads and we have mountains and we just kind of drive around them. We don't need them to be flattened out. So he's basically writing to God's people as they're coming back from, in Isaiah 40, as they're coming out of captivity. So they, they had paid their penalty of sin. They went off to captivity because they refused to acknowledge God and he took them away. And now he's saying, hey, I wanna, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to make it this like grand highway for you to come back into my land of blessing, into this new relationship, back to your homeland. And in so many ways, that's what John was doing is, it wasn't all about the roads and highways. He's basically saying, hey, I'm bringing you back. I'm making a highway so that you can come back, to, you can come home. I'm paving the way before Jesus because he's going to tell you the way home. And John wasn't sent to some other country. He was sent to Israel. He was sent to reform this religion that had become rules it had become legal legalized and legalistic and and corrupt and even against other nations you know and so he came to bring an end to that to so that people could see god and he said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him in verse 7 you brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the coming wrath Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say for yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children to Abraham. And you might remember Jesus as he's going to the cross, people say, him saying the same thing. God can raise up children of Abraham out of these stones. And I, we read that and we go, well, what, is that? what does that have to do with anything? Is he going to, like, make followers out of rocks? I mean, is that, like, the plan here? No, he's basically saying it doesn't matter anymore whether you're from the bloodlines of Abraham. It matters if you're going to follow on this road to, to Jesus that I'm setting forth. So you're becoming children of God, not because of your history, but because of your decision and your faith and your willingness to come to be baptized here in this situation or just to listen to Jesus who is coming. He says, even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. 
Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And some of the language that he uses here and earlier where he calls them brood of vipers and who warns you to flee from the coming wrath. And sometimes we hear that language and it's kind of scary, right? You're like, I, I don't know about this. Like, He's talking about wrath and fire and, and uh, cutting our trees down and, and we're the trees and he's throwing them into the fire and... You know, John was a prophet, and he's using this language called apocalyptic language. That a lot of the prophets used this really intense language that really wasn't supposed to be taken literally, but it's basically a rebuke. You need to get yourselves right. You need to think about it. Think about God's judgment. Now, I don't know if he's going to chop down trees and throw them into the fire and all that, but he's basically getting their attention that, hey, you guys are messing up. And when you read some of the, even some of our favorite prophets, like the passage that talks about the mountain of the Lord and all nations are going to come to that. Remember that passage? Well, Micah uses that passage to rebuke Jerusalem because they're not taking care of the poor. Because they're corrupt, because they're greedy. And he's saying, that's what's going to happen. That's the promise, but you guys aren't in that promise right now because you're messing up. And so sometimes we, you know, we can get kind of fearful and think, well, is God loving? And he's pretty intense and he's loving, but he's also serious. And he wants to get your attention and capture your imagination. So you think like, wow, that's, that's not good. I want to, I want to listen. Not to make us feel like we're in trouble. Even sometimes we are. And he's calling us to repent and to find that road back to him. And you even look at some of the things that Jesus said and you go, wow, that's... It wasn't just the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus was pretty intense about certain things because he wanted to catch their attention. And kind of the idea here in verse 10, they... It said, the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? That's exactly what he was looking for. Okay, I got, you got my attention, now what? And he says to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect the amount... No more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers asked him, now what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your pay. And so in so many ways, John was telling people to just do what's right. Be good people. Sometimes we can... We don't want to be, we get kind of turned off by that word being a good person because we realize that, you know, Jesus said, hey, no one is good except God alone. And that's true too. But Christians are supposed to be good people. Not in the perfect sense, like you're going to get to heaven by it, but we're supposed to be nice. We're supposed to be content with our pay. We're not supposed to extort people. 
That was one of the things that hit me even on our sabbatical is, you know, I just need to be nicer to people. Jesus encourages someone for just giving them a a glass of water away. And I could be thinking to myself, like, who cares about a glass of water? That doesn't do anything. Well, it's, it's encouraging for that person that's thirsty. You know, sometimes we get so, like, spiritual that we just forget the little things. Can you imagine what it was like for this tax collector to go back to his booth and only take what he was supposed to take and not steal? That was the most radical thing that probably anybody in his town had ever heard of. That had more impact than a hundred other things that he could have done. Because he was so different in his actions. You know, these soldiers that came, I don't know, I don't know if they were Roman soldiers. I kind of think they were other soldiers from the temple would be my guess because he was coming to Israel. But to not accuse people falsely or, or not threaten people or extort money, like, that was radical. Even if they were Romans, that was even more radical. Walk an extra mile with the Roman stuff and have them not want to get money out of you. That was powerful. And it's also interesting that the two People that he specifically mentions both have to do with money. I'm sure there was people coming from all over, all kinds of different people. But he didn't mention those. He just mentioned the money ones. Because there was a lot of greed happening. And Luke's message was to help the poor. Lift up those that are hungry. Be good people with your money. Share. And that's a good message for us, to share, as a lot of you do. But to think about our money and how we can use it for God. And I know a lot of us, we've thought about that at different times. And that doesn't mean we can't enjoy ourselves, but use our money for God. Brighten up somebody's day. Buy them a sandwich. Help someone in need in the church. Help someone in need outside the church. You know, use what we have and be grateful and be content with our pay. He says, as the people were filled with expectation and were questioning in their hearts about John, whether he might be the Messiah. He said, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Basically saying, guys, you need to listen to this guy. You need to listen to what he has to say. And so with many exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, And because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. And so John is out there preaching in this wilderness, getting jailed because of his, he he challenged the wrong guy. 
he probably didn't understand a prophetic language or something, and he got upset because he knew it was about, it was personal. And you know, if we don't like the message, sometimes we get, it gets personal, right? Imagine if he could just look and think, man, what is God telling, maybe God's speaking to me through this crazy guy. Because he knew that he messed up his brother. He knew that he did wrong, but he didn't want to listen. Sometimes we know when we mess up. We don't even need someone to tell us. But sometimes we do need someone to tell us. Because we don't really want to hear it. Or maybe we pushed it down so far, we, you know, we forgot what we've done. And uh, John's out in the wilderness and... That's not the place you usually go to meet, hear sermons in that time. You go to church, you go to the temple. But the wilderness is a special place where a lot of our forefathers have found repentance. And they've heard God whisper to them and they've, they've seen burning bushes. And, and here uh, people are coming to submit to this baptism of John and and just say, hey, God, I want to I live differently. I don't know that they were coming and with a long list of their sins and going through this whole process. They were just like, hey, God, I'm done. I need to do something different. I, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to li- go and live your way now. I want to put you back into my life. And that was a beautiful thing to be renewed. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes. Let me read that in verse 21. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus was also had also been baptized, he was praying, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. Now, probably the most encouraging thing that you could ever hear. God calling you a son, his son. God telling you that you are loved. And God telling you that he's proud of you. That's what I'd say. I'm pleased with you is what they say. I'm proud of you. That's what we all want. That's what we need. That's what God, that's what Jesus is coming to give. That was his message. You can be my children, sons, daughters. You're loved. You're loved more than you ever knew. I'm proud of you. I mean, is there a more powerful Story that when he called the woman daughter, when he called a man son, man, I don't care what you've done. You're my, you're my daughter. You're my son now. Not because you were from Abraham, but because you chosen me. Not because of your blood, but because of your faith. That's, isn't that what we want to do with our kids? A hundred thousand different ways to say these three things. 
we cook for him and we buy him stuff and we praise him and we challenge him and we lift him up and we're, we're just trying to say these three things. You're my son, my daughter, I love you and I'm proud of you. And when you mess up, I'm not going to run away. And that's the power. That's what a lot of us maybe didn't get. None of us got that fully. But that's what God wants us to get. And when we, when he was getting, when he was baptized, he was just reminded. I don't know that he really needed to hear that because he probably knew that, but he probably still needed to hear that because he was a human. We all need to hear that. Sometimes we can think that Jesus was kind of beyond that. That he was beyond encouragement, that he was beyond having needs, that he was beyond temptation even. I mean, we're going to see that today. That wasn't the case. But uh, anyways, we'll get to that in a minute here. So be good people. Submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to this community. Jesus submitted himself to being baptized to John. And I know we've heard that before, and we know that he had to do that to fulfill all righteousness, whatever the heck that means. There's not like a scripture that says Jesus needed to be baptized. He just I like to think that he was just sharing in this community of faith. That he was sharing in it. He didn't need to get any of the forgiveness that was getting doled out. But he just said, man, these are my people. These are my brothers and sisters. All those people that got baptized. Those, I'm with them. Even though he didn't need to be with them. John didn't want to baptize them. But he just made them. You know, Jesus came down to earth to be with us. And sometimes we think that he's too good to be tempted or he's beyond us, but he's, he's with us. You know, it's kind of a weird thing that right after this baptism, there's this whole genealogy, which seems kind of out of place when you're reading the book and you're getting into the story and then all of a sudden you get to the baptism and then he goes into this whole genealogy and it's all dudes. You ever, do you see that? You know, Matthews has... Women, men, this is like all guys. And you might be, and I was thinking like, what is that all about? What, what is this? A lot of these people are not even like famous people. Like some of them I recognize, some of them I don't. I never heard of Arfaxad. Never heard of that guy. Methuselah, I heard of him. He's the oldest guy ever. But basically, what, what's the point? The point is he's like, okay, now John's over. Now I'm going to start talking about Jesus. We, we talked about his ministry, and then he goes all the way back, and he says, you know, Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God, which is kind of weird. It's true. But basically saying that Jesus was just said, God just said he's his son, and now he, Matt, uh, Luke is writing that he's, he's fully human and he's fully God. He's got this lineage all the way back to Adam. And I started thinking about, I never thought of, I never had this, you know, sometimes you get a crazy thought and you're like, oh, I don't know if that makes sense. This was one of those. And I was like, it's going to sound crazy, but Jesus was messed up like us. Okay, I got your attention. 
when you look, you know, we're, we're a product of our family, right? I told you guys about my alcoholic grandfather, you know, and I don't like to think of that's me, but that, that's where I come from. Jesus is Adam. He gave up everything for an apple. Jacob, he came out and was a deceiver, and his name was one who grasped the heel. David, who's also in his line, was a murderer and adulterer. And he had prostitutes in his line. And he had all kinds of stuff. And it just got me thinking, like, Jesus was tempted because he was messed up. He, he, he didn't sin. He wasn't messed up like that. But he, his DNA was corrupted by humanity. Like us. Those things that we do and we're like, oh, man, I thought I was never going to be like my parents. I just did it. Like Jesus being tempted, like, oh, man, this is what David was thinking about. This is why Adam ate the fruit. Just like us. That he struggled and he went to in in Luke four. Let me start. We're going to switch over to the to the temptation now. Where he says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. And Jesus, you know, he was full of the Holy Spirit after he got baptized, and then the Spirit led him out into the desert to be tested. Like, a lot of times when we get tested, we think we're doing badly. I'm being tested because I'm, I'm weak or I'm struggling. Jesus was tested because he still needed to be trained. You know, Hebrews said that he was made perfect by what he suffered. And so even though Jesus was sinless, he was baptized, but he still wasn't perfect. You know, that God is... I'm sure the people that were reading this, even for the first time, were thinking, you know, I'm getting tested myself, too. Maybe you felt that way. That he was hungry, he was famished. And Satan said, just make the, turn these rocks into bread. That'll make it easier. I'll take care of your, you know, just take care of your own needs. Provide your own provisions. You know, go get it yourself. And isn't that a temptation for us? We have needs, we have wants, we have desires, and our temptation is to go do it ourselves. Make it happen. Don't wait on God. He might take too long. Let's do it now. And Jesus was hungry and tempted, and, you know, Israel had been doing that since their very beginning. They come out of Egypt, and two days later, God, what, you bring us out here to starve? Like, give us some food. Like, he wasn't going to provide, and yet we can feel that same way. Let's keep reading here. Let's trust God for our provision, amen? Let's not go get it ourselves. Because getting it ourselves involves doing it 
the, our own way, not God's way. Let's wait for him to provide. It says the devil said to him, if you're the son of God. I just read that. Or I didn't read it yet. Command this stone to become a loaf of bread. He answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. The devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said to him, I will give you to you. I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If then, though you will, if you then worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so he shows them all the kingdoms of the world. Ever think about what that was? What is that? Power, authority, money, sex, pleasure, whatever. Everything that Solomon was going after, that to me, that's all the kingdoms of the world. You can have it all. All you got to do is do things my way. All you got to do is cut corners. All you got to do is look out for yourself. And Jesus fought this off with scripture and, you know, the word is our weapon. It keeps us grounded. Now, it doesn't give us all the answers. It doesn't tell us like A, B, and C of like how to get to work. But it gives us all the answers that we need in the spiritual battle. It gives us weapons. Because it wasn't really about the kingdoms, it was about the priorities. Just put yourself ahead of God. Just put your desires first. And yet Jesus refused. And we're going to see that later come up. Let's keep reading in verse 9. It says, The devil led him up to Jerusalem. And placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For as it is written, he will command angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until a more opportune time. And so here, the devil says that God will protect you. And Jesus responds with the not testing God. And the Israelites tested God ten different times. They grumbled. They didn't like the leaders that he put in there. They didn't like the food. They, didn't, they wanted meat. They wanted water. They wanted all kinds of things. And yet, and he even took scripture out of context. Sometimes we, we can take scriptures out of context to serve our own self. Because that is true. He says he will protect you, but the first part of that is if you love me, first, if you love me, I'll protect you. 
The promise wasn't, I'm going to protect you if you go do whatever you want to do. Maybe he does. He does protect us from ourselves. But it's interesting that it wasn't just pride that he was tested with, but his religious pride. Come on, Jesus. You're the man. You're the ambassador of the Lord. I mean, you're the guy. Sometimes we can feel that way, that we're, we're, the, we're the people. Yeah, that's true, but that can also be a little bit much. That we trust sometimes that we are, uh, that can be our own pride t- talking, that we're better than other people. And we forget to recognize we're, we're fragile. You know, this week, um, it was pr- pretty interesting uh, week here. I was at a retreat with a lot of the leaders from L.A. And, uh, you know, we had kind of workshops and different lessons and sharing. And, you know, I've been to a lot of, how many people have been to a lot of workshops like that where you go for a weekend, you hear like six or eight lessons and you share and, you know, so I was kind of expecting that. We're going to hear a lot of lessons. We're going to share. But it was amazing to see the topics that we discussed. It wasn't a quick fix. We had a lesson this morning about failure. And even talking about, hey, when the, the two places that ministers feel failure, growth and finances. And just talking about what what's happening and we, we shared a you know what do we do with this that we're all going through and you know if you're visiting, you know, some of our church is a little smaller than it's been a few years ago. And I think recognizing that where do we get our security from? Is it more people? Is it a better show? Is that what we want? Not that we don't want to be the best we can, but we talked about God and just that he is, you know, we felt like, you know, we talked about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom from God. And to be submissive to God and Patient, kind, loving. There's not like a quick fix for that. You can't just say, well, just do this and it's going to be better. Because it's not a this, it's a us. It's a heart. It's not easy to love more. It's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to suffer. It's not easy to trust. And it was amazing as people shared and we shared about the different walls that we were going through. And you may have heard of the dark night of the soul and just that idea when you just feel like you're stuck. And we just went around and people just shared person by person all the ways that we're struggling personally. All the ways that our kids are struggling. All the ways that our churches are struggling. Sounds pretty inspiring, huh? (laughs) But in the weirdest way, 
like halfway through, I just was thinking like, wow, everybody in here is listening to their kids, to their kids who hate the church, to their kids who don't go to church because their kids grew up in the church and they have a message for the leaders of the church. But they were listening and they were taking it to heart and they were asking the question, what do I do? Just like they were asking, what do do, do you want me to do? And people were talking about some of their disgruntled members. That would be none of you. And they were not just saying that, but they were asking the question, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to hear? How did I contribute to this? And it just was so encouraging that, man, we're, we're listening. We're trying to understand. And I... You know, uh, I think we're going to be getting to communion here in a minute. Here we go. That was a long time ago. I haven't really been advancing my slides here, as you can see. We're going to be taking communion here in a minute. But, uh, you know, you ever think about what God's message is for us? You know, all, we've been through a lot the last however many years, you want to say. You know, I shared at the retreat, it's been a, a long, like, five or six years. Just one crisis after the next. And I don't feel sorry for me. But it was like, wow, what is God doing? Like, what, what is the point? We went on our sabbatical. It was a really spiritual time. We got to see God in nature as we shared. But there was another part of it, too. It was an escape. Not that I want to get away from all of you. To not have the phone ring. To not have to preach. To not have to do whatever I've been doing for 30 years. And part of me liked it. It was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. I'm out loving life. But part of me liked it too much. And coming back hasn't been easy because of that. But to me, that was like God's message. Like, what, what are you going to do? The way of the cross is a way of suffering. It's not a quick fix. It's inner turmoil. It's wrestling. And it's going to make you humble. And it was weird to be away and to come back and it became more clear like, oh, wow. I'm not sure if I want that. I'm being real honest here, right? This is your preacher being real honest. It would be nice to suffer just a little. And I wasn't thinking this, but it was kind of like, well, how can I suffer? Like, what is the minimum I can suffer and still be a good minister and be a good disciple? Like, can I just suffer a little and maybe a couple tears? That's enough. 
But this has been my struggle from the beginning. This is not a new thing. Compassion. That was my word of the year for like 10 years in a row. I think Abe gave it to me like two or three years. (laughs) Empathy. Suffering. That wasn't my life. That wasn't what I wanted. And now when you're 18 or whatever, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to suffer for Jesus. It's going to be glorious. When you're not 18, you're like, well, we're going to suffer for Jesus. And guess what? We're going to really suffer for Jesus. That the Christian life is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. How about you? Anybody find it easier than you thought it was going to be? Never met one of those. (laughs) But that's the life, that's the way of the cross. That's what Jesus, we just saw him. He could have taken the easy way on all these things. Feed yourself, take care of yourself, take take a break, don't suffer quite so much. I mean, he had all those options. But he trusted God. And it wasn't that he just suffered miserably through life. Because the cross is about the resurrection. You can't like separate them. They're together. There's blessings right in front of us even when we're suffering if we can see them. If we take the time to see them. Like even this weekend, I saw a lot of people and man, they were going through it. But to see them listening was so encouraging. To see God blessing even in the midst of this and to think that, wow, this is probably better than all the good news sharing that we've ever done. This is probably where God wants us to be. But we can want to not be there. And I just share that so that you can think about yourself and what is... Where don't you want to go? What's the wall that you keep coming back to in your Christian life? Because guess what? You're going to come back to it again. It's going to be the same one. And it's going to be even more. Maybe it'll be the same decision. Am I going to? Maybe the same decision that they made in the very beginning. Okay, I'm going I'm to submit to this baptism that John's offering. I'm going to give my life to God. I'm going to lay my life down again. Jesus had to do that on his very last night. That's what he's probably been doing his whole ministry and his whole life, and he still had to do it again. You know, what caught me in this scripture about who we are, how we're loved and how God's proud of us. This is a time where we recognize the grace that he's given us. This is the power of our faith. No matter where we are, God loves us. No matter what we've done, he wants to lift us up. No matter how we're being tested, he want, he's doing that so that he could use us. It's not because he hates us. 
He's not because he's against you. It's not because you're in trouble. I, there were so many people talking this weekend, all of the leaders, just thinking, man, I just feel like sometimes God's not happy with me. That if God was, if somebody's like, hey, God's at the front door, they'd be like, oh, no, what's he going to say? That, that's where a lot of us come from. That's a lot of our backgrounds. He wants us to be like, wow, I get to go outside and find grace. I get to experience it again. I'm excited because I am his son, because I am his daughter. And I pray that that is moving to you. And even to the very end, in Matthew, I mean, Luke 23, Jesus is on the cross and three different Times, people said to save himself. The religious leaders, the, the soldiers, the crowds. Kind of similar to the temptation at the very beginning. You don't have to go through all this. But he was saving himself. He was saving himself for what God had planned. He was saving himself for the resurrection that he was trusting God for how he was going to raise him up. And I pray that today we can not try to save ourselves, but to allow God to save us again. Let's pray and we'll take our communion together. Father, I do thank you for this time. I just, uh, I know that your, your spirit is moving even now even among us, even looking out and seeing uh, just people's faces and, and uh, their eyes and just their minds going, God. I pray that you guide each of us to where you want us to be. I pray that we can accept the grace here that you're offering of being your son, your daughter, that we can know that you love us, God. Not just for something that we know in our head, but something that we experience. I pray that we can feel that, God. I pray that we can know that you're proud of us. Help us, help me to choose to go the way of the cross. To choose to suffer, to choose to hurt with others and have compassion and, and not save myself. I pray that you lead us, God, that we can be who you want us to be, even if it's just us, that we'll, be, we'll make you proud. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his body and his blood and, and this way that he gave us that we can experience you and, and share in these blessings and this power that your spirit gives us. And... Uh, God, we love you. We thank you for this body and his blood, and we recognize that at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.